the time. Hallelujah. Well, bless the Lord. Hallelujah. God is a good God. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's turn our Bibles to Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 3. Getting ready to preach on heaven today. And, well, really, I didn't sleep all night. So, Phyllis said she heard me clanging around. And, and, uh, and I didn't sleep all night. But, uh, right as I was putting a pen to some paper, God said, I want you to preach on a moment of time again. I said, I did that last week. He said, well, let's do it again this week. I said, okay. So we're going to talk about a moment of time. A moment of time is simply this. It is a small measure or a very short period of time. It is in a second, we say, or I'll be there in a moment, in a flash, nothing flat. It means that it's a small segment of time, might be longer than some to one person, but another, it might be a shorter time. But it's a little segment of time. We could call it a fragment or a portion of a season. And in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 3, it says to everything there is a season or a fragment of time and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. There is a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. When we start talking about a moment of time, we go through life using time, living, working, walking, talking, fellowshipping with other people. And you may not realize how much time we waste. Can somebody say waste. Waste, or we just walk through moments, and moments in time are places of juncture. They are moments that make a difference. They are moments that change seasons. They are moments that direct us. They are moments that lead us. They are moments that separate us. But through all of this, we come to a moment in time. And a moment, though you have been doing something all your life, building, but there comes a moment to tear down. You may have been in a war, but there comes a time when wars must be healed. And so we go through life doing all kinds of stuff, but in life, God brings moments to define our future. It is a juncture point. And they are what changes our lives, the history, our futures, and even changes our past. 
So moments of time must never be responded to by an emotional stirring or an emotional urging or an emotional rudder. Moments of time must be captivated and used to make sure that we are making the right turn at the right time, the left turn at a designated time. So we are not to respond to these moments of time. They just show up. They happen, but your life has been moving towards that one moment. You know, your life is moving towards a moment appointed unto die. No, nobody can escape it. Rich, poor, fat, ugly, beautiful, tall, thin, buff, you know, rich. It doesn't matter. When death comes, it never leaves alone. It always takes somebody with it. And there is an appointed time that we're all going to die. And life is leading up to that one moment. Now, as soon as that moment is encountered, all choices, all junctures of eternity, heaven or hell, are done. They're just done. Nothing ends in eternity except your choices. Amen? Absolutely. No, nothing changes. And so what we want to do is we want to make sure that we respond to these moments by righteousness and truth. Do it the right way. You've heard it said, if you're going to do anything, do it right. Amen? I don't like the saying, if you're going to do it, do it yourself. I don't like that at all. I just say, Phyllis, hire somebody. Now, I want to show you moments of time. Let's go to Matthew 5, 21 through 22. We're talking about moments of time, segments of time that bring us to a juncture that takes us on a different path, yet we have been being prepared for that path all of our life. And then it says, you have heard that it was said by them of old, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. In other words, you're going to be held accountable in the same measure as a murderer. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. When are we angry with people? In a moment of time. When do we make foolish proclamations about somebody else? in a moment of time. When do we proclaim someone to be godless, a fool? We do it in a moment of time. Now understand that when you do that, that you have entered into a place 
and all of a sudden your path has taken a dramatic change. Amen? You're going to be judged like a murderer. But I didn't kill nobody. Well, you were angry. That's the weight of anger. People say, I have an anger problem. I would encourage you, let somebody deliver you with a ball bat. Get away from it. But you can see how that when you get angry, it leads to perpetual sin that leads to a reward. The wages of sin is death. And then, if you would call a brother a fool, fool, you would be in danger of hellfire. That is a dramatic juncture in our life when we are striving for heaven. Amen? Let's go to Matthew 18, 4 through 6. And there are hundreds of these in the Bible. But just moments of time that we sometimes, uh, let's say, we treat them as trivial junctures. We think because God didn't smite us blind that it's okay that we said what we said, did what we did, accused as we accused made a statement that shouldn't have been made, repeated a matter, got angry about nothing. Whew. Then it says this, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as a little child, the same is great in the kingdom of heaven. Next verse, Whosoever shall receive such a little child in my name, receiveth me. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones, offend one of them, which believeth in me, Christians, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. A moment. Just a moment. Well, I, I just got that off my chest. Just a moment. Well, you know, I just, I, I wasn't in a good mood that day. Just a moment. Well, I just didn't like the way they said it. Just a moment. That juncture of you being entrusted with encouraging another believer takes a terrible juncture and puts you in a place that you should wish to God that you were going to be drowned with a millstone about your neck. Does that sound like God's happy? But, but God understands. That's why he wrote that verse, so you would understand. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Now, I want to... Let's go to James 1.19. James 1.19. And uh, I'm talking about these little moments. See, we sometimes 
think that we have so much time that these little moments become insignificant in the judgments that we make and then play, please, listen to me. And who is really in charge of our life? Yep. James 1. There you are. Thank you. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift. Somebody say swift. That means quick to hear. Lester Summerall used to say, you got one mouth, you ought to listen twice as much as you talk. Let every man be quick to hear. In other words, give attendance when somebody opens their mouth around you. And then it says this, be slow to speak and slow to wrath. Now, does anybody know what the word wrath means? You, you might not, maybe you did. But over the years, I, I've used it. Wrath is an emotional stirring of response. And that is not what we're supposed to do. And then it says this in the next verse. For the wrath of man worketh or opposes or does not allow to work the righteousness of God. Next verse. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man that beholds his natural face in a glass, and he beholds himself and goeth away, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in all of his deeds. Wow. Let me make a statement that Mark Anthony made in the play Julius Caesar written by Shakespeare. In Act 3, it says this, Friends, Romans, and countrymen, lend me your ears. I don't know how impressed God was with it because he kind of said it this way. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord saith. A moment in time, quick to hear, which means consider what is being said, give attention to it. When somebody is talking to us, are we paying attention? Slow to speak means do not be activated by your emotions or in your mind. 
Don't talk until you've got all the facts, understood it, and you've thought it through. And then it says to be slow to wrath. In other words, stop any type of movement towards another person. Because it's better for us to suffer for the kingdom's sake than it is to hurt someone in the kingdom, a millstone. And then it tells us, now the reason that God doesn't want this to happen, and you have to do all three, these are like James giving us a prerequisite to stay away from the wrath or the response of a man. And if you respond as a man, you shut down the works of righteousness, which is blessing, protection, peace, unity, love, goodness. You shut all those down if you get wrathful or you hear a portion and then you say something and then you get agitated and you act in some way. That is the wrath of man. Now that sounds like, well, well we wouldn't do that, but then the Bible says, can you go? Go to verse 21, I believe. It says this, Wherefore, laid apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save you, that word filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness simply means this. Stop defiling yourself out of the rule of the old man. It means stop doing and releasing leftover wickedness that God is dealing with. Wow. Kind of quiet. Here's what a psychiatrist said, and I quote him. He said, listening to the conversations of our world, they are very non-listened to. His words, not mine. They are like deaf people that sound is verberating around but they are not taking in wow it's like we talk to nations they don't hear we still have wars couples talk friends talk billions and billions of words are produced every second but only a fraction are truly heard. All those that aren't heard bring misunderstandings and presumptions about another individual. All of us have regretted conversations in which we were speaking, but 
the eyes and the body language that we were talking to told us that they were not even hearing. You ever, you ever talk to somebody whose mind was someplace else? Or that you even wondered if they had a mind? We are speaking, but they're not hearing. They aren't hearing because they think they already know what you mean. Have you ever done that to somebody? You have not processed what you've heard. Sometimes listeners are so self-consumed that they cannot listen. Other times they are so intent on what they're about to say, they can't wait for your stupid remarks to end. I always start talking in front of Phil, in, in the middle of Phil's statement. She said, wait, wait, let me finish. I say, I know what you're going to say. Really, and what that is, is that is an insult to her intelligence and a rejection of her value. Doesn't mean I'm going to change, but I'm telling you what it is. And the biggest thing about changing anything is you got to know what you need to change. Now, every once in a while, we will catch a word that they were saying and really never give much credence to it. We are such bad listeners that one of the major reasons is that we are so busy that we really don't care what other people are going through. We are constantly fed by visual media. If we don't see it, we won't believe it. We have become so dull, so deaf, so blind that we cannot concentrate on hearing someone. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because in a moment of time, you can say something, you can get stirred in your mind, you can get falsely offended, and you can respond out of emotions instead out of the word. But see, those responses are left over from the old man that hasn't quite been crucified yet. And so if you don't take away his opportunity to give you an opportunity to express anger, vengeance, name-calling, a thought that he will not be able to rise up. But if you don't keep him at bay, He's always waiting to rise up. Now, preachers have become, or preaching has become a message of hope 
to people that need it but simply can't hear it. Now, I'm sure that if we could span on our uh, cameras that everybody's saying, well, you know, this, this just doesn't fit me and I'm really not interested, and you've checked your watch. Because you want some type of stimulant to keep you interested. How would you like to have been the church at Galatia where they just got up and read the whole book of Galatia? And that's all that there was. Or the church of Corinth, my word, thank God I'd have, I'd have moved to Galatia. How would you have liked to have been an Israelite where Moses one day a year had everybody stand, crying kids, whining dogs, button goats, and he'd read the whole law, five books of the Bible. They ain't going to be a Jew. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No way, man, that is entirely too much and boring. Who cares who begitted when the water winded? Who, who understands that? You, you and I can't even get through Matthew 1. We are so bored out of our gourd because the Bible is not entertaining to our senses. It is a deposit of information that transforms the human mind so that God can rule it by being enthroned in our life. Hallelujah. Wrath, anger, tempers, impulses, any violent emotion or word that is not filled with grace will separate you from the work of righteousness. Wow. Works that are, are not righteous. They are performed because reason and rationale and our insecurities have been challenged. You know, when we get offended by mere words, it ought to tell us how shallow our faith really goes. I've said this all my Christian life. If man can overthrow what God's got in store for me, then God is not much of a God or I'm not much of a Christian. So, when we do not receive the working or the performance of the promises of God through righteousness, then we will suffer. We need to make sure that we lay away the old things that are still resident in our life. Because you and I are coming to a moment when somebody, not your wife, is going to be a master of punching your button. Yep. So we need to make sure that we want to make sure that we walk in purity, righteousness, and truth. Now, I know this is not near as exciting as last week. That's okay. I'm still 
trying to get you to realize how important a moment is. In Psalms 105 and verse 15, it says, Touch not my anointed, and do not do my prophets harm. Now, David in Samuel, if you go to Samuel 24, 1 through 14, I know that it's a lot of scripture, but it so ties in with James 1 19. Yet we see David dealing with it in a way that allows righteousness to protect him and to promote him. And it says this remember that Saul is trying to kill David. David Saul is very insecure. He's afraid that people won't like him. He is, uh, wants to be in the court of, uh, of people's uh, imagination or their identity of him. He doesn't really care what God thinks. Remember, he said, Samuel, well, go with me and let's offer this up so the people can see you with me. Samuel said, what is wrong with you, bud? God has rent the kingdom from you, and all you can think about is... You're standing with people. Well, he's after David. And it says, And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Hey, behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 men. We got one David and a handful of ragtag, beat-up, depressed, fed up with Saul's rule in the cave. And it says he took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wilderness of the wild goats. I'm sorry. And he came to the sheep coat by the way and where was a cave and Saul went in to cover his feet. In other words, give his feet a rest. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Oh man, what a day which the Lord has said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, and thou mayest do to him, and it shall seem good unto thee. Then David rose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. And it came to pass afterward that David's men, men, David's heart smote him, I'm sorry, because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master. And the Lord's anointed to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. And David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to raise against Saul, but Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. David also arose up afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped down with his face towards the earth and he bowed himself to give Saul honor. And then it said, Then David said, Saul, 
Wherefore hearest thou these men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. You have been quick to hear, but you listen to what they said, and you have not understood. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how the Lord had delivered thee into the hand, into mine hand in the cave, and some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee, and I said, I will not put forth my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that this is neither evil nor transgression in my hand. And I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. And the Lord judged between me and thee, and the Lord avenged me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the Proverbs of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. One more verse. And after whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog or after a flea? David humbles himself and he listens to what people say. He's quick to hear what they said. But he contemplates, why would I stir myself to harm whom God has favored? God has anointed him. So how did David... Now remember that David's being hunted. And it's, he's got lies told against him. Oh, David's after you. David's hunting you. David wants to hurt you. He said, no, no, none of that is true, Saul. You are my king. And you are my father in the faith. David did what was right. And we know what happened to David. David got promoted. David got exalted. Because at a moment of time, now he could have been justified and he could have took that promise out of context. But he didn't. He did what was right. He chose the way of righteousness. Sometimes when we go into these moments You've heard the old saying, you cut the hand off that feeds you. Sometimes in these moments, we come to these junctures when it looks like everything's going my way. And we turn the wrong way. David didn't turn the wrong way. God wants us to go the right way. Amen? Could I have Ephesians 4.30 quickly up on the screen? Hallelujah. And I know that you all know this, and everybody probably gets tired of hearing it, but, and it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, 
whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I'm not just talking about words because behind words becomes intent of activity. And then it says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, for even as uh, God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. What does grieve mean? You know what grieve means, David? Come up here, David. I'm going to show you what grieve means. No, 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 no. no. I want you, David. Now, if I was going to grieve you, what it would mean is that I would oppress you. I would push you down. Can you go down, David? Get on down, Lord. And I would push you and grieve you till you were insignificant and out of my way. Now, that's grieving the Holy Ghost. And... uh, So in other words, the very person that is there to help us to take Jesus' place, I will send you another comforter, we automatically push him out of his designated place of leadership. Remember, when the Holy Ghost comes, which is the Spirit of Truth, He will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he heareth from heaven, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. In other words, if we oppress the Holy Ghost, grieve him in these moments of time. If we do that, then what happens is we automatically disconnect ourselves from any revelation of truth. We automatically disconnect ourselves from any words from heaven. And we automatically separate ourselves from visions, dreams, things to come. Now the question to me when I thought about this and studied and said, God, you know, I need more moments than this. They'll get bored with listening to this. Well, what I wondered was this. How many things have I missed and how many things have I not heard and how many things have I not done because of a moment in time? And if I was missing something, felt like God wanted me to do something, the first place I would begin is not everybody else. I would start looking at the progression of hearing, speaking, and intent of activity that shuts down righteousness. Now remember that The Holy Ghost is not given to the world, but it's been given to the righteous. All right? If we took the Holy Ghost out of our life, we would never hear from heaven. 
we would never know what God was speaking or what God was planning or what he was doing. He wouldn't be able to show us things to come. Every prophet would become obsolete. There would be no inspiration. There would be no prophecy. For that part, there wouldn't be any spiritual gifts activated because the Holy Ghost divides severally as he wills. There would be no tongues and interpretation of tongues. Every prophet, every evangelist, every pastor, every teacher would be without revelation and would be silenced. Every gift would be quenched. Every call would go undeclared. There would be no spiritual songs to edify us. There would be no signs and wonders. There would be no sanctification. There wouldn't even be a new birth. And in Romans 8.28, there would be no helper when we came to the end of ourself. Wow. What would we do without the Holy Ghost? You might say, well, man, that sounds just like my life. We've all been there. But it's time to get out of there. Amen? It's time to stop letting the residue of the old man take charge of our moments. Take charge of our moment. Hey, Dora, how are you doing? You know, you just came through a moment. You just came through a season. You came through a season and you are about to change right now. You're about to come out of that and you're going to forget about that. And you're going to take what you learned out of that and God's going to give you an understanding of how to wisely move forward. That's what's going to happen. You've just come through a moment of time. In fact, that moment of time brought you right here. Now, your mother sitting right there beside you. She has been dealing with some type of blood thing in her system. Has she been dealing with a blood uh, disorder? What is it? Well, God's going to straighten that up. God's going to straighten that up. Now, in the name of Jesus, just put your hand on the door. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God, I loose the working of miracles to bring everything in order in Jesus' name. Now, God, you've ended a season. Now, start a season. God, and let this last season be greater than any former seasons because that's who you are. Amen and amen. Is uh, Mike Tabor here? Mike Tabor here? Is it? Ah, there you are, Mike. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how God wants me to 
share this. Uh, you ever seen hanging wires? You know, like from a telephone pole? Common sense would say, don't go over there and test and see if they're hot. Yeah. Yeah. Right? right? That's what is hanging in the middle of your back. And it's like every time that something happens, you get, I, I don't know, back pain. You go through a back spasmus. You, you go through something. Is that right? Well, I'll tell you what. God is going to heal you today. Uh, where is that young man over here that had the back problems for years? And uh, he used to sit right up there on the top row. And, uh, and uh, he got healed. Uh, your brother-in-law got healed of cancer. Where, where are you? Oh, there. Okay. All right. Was it, is it your husband? He had that same, he had the same thing. And you know what? Prayed for him, and Mike, he's not ever had another problem with it. And you know what? I believe today is your day. I mean that. I, I just believe today is your day. Father, come on, stretch forth your hand. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God, we curse every nerve. We curse God. Every muscle, we curse God. Every part of that damaged spine, God, these vertebras, in the name of Jesus, these discs, God, I command it right now in the name of Jesus to be free, be whole, and God, we loose the working of miracles in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, did you have pain when you came in here, Mike? Oh, okay, all right. Your wife carried you in here. Okay. Next Sunday, you're going to tell me, you're, you're just, you watch. You're going to be freed. Hallelujah. That's all there is to it. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody give Jesus a round of applause. Now, when we talk about a moment in time, there is a juncture. Everybody comes to a moment in time that we have to decide who we will serve. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. But there are many people that are watching. There might be people here that are not Christians. Have never given your life to Jesus. You're not in a boat that all of us haven't been in. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but by God's grace and mercy... We got to have the gospel preached to us and we had a choice to receive Jesus Christ. I did it and I made that juncture and it took me from my past into my future. If you're here today, if you're watching my live stream, If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Jesus came to die for you. Not for his own sins, for your sins and my sins. The greatest proclamation of love is that cross. 
when Jesus gave his life for you and I. The greatest demonstration of power is when God raised him from the dead the third day. Now, I know that if you're watching this program, if you're here in this sanctuary, you believe in some way, shape, or form that Jesus was the Son of the living God. So if you're here today, you're viewing by the live stream, I want to give you an opportunity to become a part of the family of God. There's nothing you can do to get rid of your own sin. There's nothing that religion can do, the world can do. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ. So I'm giving you this chance to receive him as your personal savior. So if you're watching me, when you pray this prayer, I want you to put in the comment box, I got saved. Somebody's going to get right back in touch with you. And if you're here today, we're not afraid of the virus of you getting close to us. And so we're going to ask you to simply stand to your feet and come down here. So if you want to receive Jesus Christ, you that are watching, you that are here, when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. When I count to three with you, I want you to get ready to pray. One, Jesus died for your sins and he died for my sins. He is the only begotten Son of God. No one has ever said these words except Jesus. I am the truth, the way, and the life. No man can come unto God, the creator of all, except by me. Two, the decisions that we make in life are eternal. They send us to a hell or take us to a heaven. God's plan for you is you go to heaven. Three, if you're here today, not a Christian, stand your feet quickly so we can see you and celebrate with you. Anybody? Okay, those of you that are watching, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you today, and I do believe that Jesus Christ is your only begotten Son. I believe he died on Calvary, shed his blood for my sins until he was dead. And on the third day, he was buried. And on the third day, you by your power and your power alone raised him from the dead. Now, Jesus, I declare that you are Lord of my life. Come into my heart. I receive you now. And by faith, I am born again. My sins are washed away. Amen.